As we continue in our True North series for the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at reconciliation, which is a cornerstone of the gospel. And uh, it will hearken us back in many ways to um, our study of Ephesians this summer, a diagram that I probably showed you way too much, but that um, explains really well what our relationship with God is because of Christ and can be and must be with one another. Because we are reconciled with God, you fill in the blank with the us's. Any two groups or four groups or the way that we group ourselves, the world causes that in many different ways. And that can run rampant and sin can take hold of that so easily and we can figure out which group is better than which group. That's the way we are. And Jesus calls us to something entirely different, the opposite, in fact. And because we are reconciled with God, we can be reconciled with one another. And I'll say it again, when you pass the peace, when you greet one another, that is what you are demonstrating. And if you can't shake hands with someone and say, it is good to worship with you this morning, then you don't need to shake hands with that person. We must move past our differences and realize that because we are reconciled with God, we can be, and we are, with one another. And our true north, as we hold our compass, we try to navigate our way through life, which the theological term for that is sanctification. Ephesians 4 talked about it ad nauseum. We are maturing gradually into the stature of the measure of Christ. No less than that. And there's nowhere on this journey that you are supposed to be other than further along than you were. And you'll backtrack sometimes. I do. But we continue to move along in pursuit of who God has made us to be through the Holy Spirit working in us. It's our journey. And the compass that we're talking about over the next few weeks is there to guide us. I think the Holy Spirit's a good analogy for that, a good metaphor. Guiding us to Jesus, to, to perfect <laughs> involvement in the kingdom in which you are a part now, the very household of God. We'll get back to that. Revelation 5, we'll turn our attention there. And John is just giving some incredible imagery all through the book of Revelation. Perhaps you found it a hard book. To read, hard to understand, I have. And a tip I've received that has, has helped me greatly is that we read Revelation not as a, as a code to help us figure out how things will be at that time when Christ does return, but more as a, a picture of what John imagined and this imagery that helps us understand who we are to be today. This realized eschatology, that's a big word, but the idea that heaven has come forward in the very person of Jesus Christ and we can live as eternal beings now, understanding some at least of the width and breadth of the gospel and who Jesus is and what that means for us. And we can be difference makers in our community through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We are called out to make a difference, to draw others to the true north. And that's what John was doing in a beautiful way through Revelation. 
with incredible imagery. We pick up in verse 8 in chapter 5. The text reads, when, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood and every tribe and language and people and nation. Say that again. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. Makes me think of the second chapter in Ephesians that we covered a few weeks ago, specifically verses 18 and 19, which say, For through him we both, in this case Jews and Gentiles, but you fill in the blank, any two groups, any three groups, any groups that may, by the world standard, feel like they are opposed or to be in enmity with one another. Paul says in 18, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. Verse 19, and imagine this verse in the context of the display of the gospel that we saw so beautifully in the baptism of those nine new saints this morning. Verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Hear me, y'all, that's what we did this morning. We welcomed new saints into the community. You have been welcomed into this community. We are called to be fellow citizens in God's kingdom and members of God's very household. You've been invited home. Think about that metaphor. That's good. And if it's not good in your experience, because it's not for some people, there are people that come from very difficult homes that I hope you've seen one that is less difficult. And you imagine that and know that that doesn't even compare to what God has invited us to be a part of forever. God's household where you are a very son or daughter of the Lord our God. Those baptized today made that confession to us all. And we welcomed them into our family as a people who are connected to one another through Jesus. But it's not just us here at Harpeth Heights. It's it's all of our campuses. It's all of our surrounding cities. And it extends to the very ends of the earth where, where people in Christianity can actually look quite different. As our text in Revelation teaches us, different customs, different languages, different tribes. And and sure, not everyone is in this family. Some, Some people choose not to, and that breaks my heart. Some people have not heard yet. In our quarterly staff meeting recently, which was kind of steered by some of our missions team across the eight campuses, they gave out some handouts that showed how many unreached people groups there are still in this world. It's thousands. There are so many people who have yet to hear the good news of the gospel, which we witnessed nine people 
proclaiming that they understand and believe in this morning. And so many have yet to hear. And why is this important? Because of what our text teaches us. There is no one, no one whom God does not love. You have never looked upon anyone whom God does not love. There is no limit to whom God is pursuing. There is no limit to whom God is calling home. Verse 9 and 10 again. And they sang a new song because they were new creation. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. This is our new song. When we come to faith in Christ, we move from our old self to our new self. That is what the baptism demonstrated this morning. And new life is a result. Second Corinthians 517. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. And we're called a kingdom and priests set apart to reign on earth. And what is the kingdom on earth today? Well, it is God's very kingdom. Move forward. We are available to be a part of it. In fact, we incorporate it. And that ought to give us pause. It's an important role that we play because the kingdom of God is where things are as God would have them to be. There is no sin in God's kingdom. There is no faulty theology in God's kingdom. There is no pursuit of anything other than God. And his son Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as was testified to in the baptismal waters. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us to lead and guide and direct us. The kingdom is where things are as the king would have them. To realize what our true north is and to follow after it and to help one another to do so well. Yes, that is who we are called to be. And we are called to be it so others will see it. We confused reigning on earth with having the power that the world offers us and affords us. Reigning on earth means that we are set apart by God to build for God's kingdom, to help things make, to help make things look more like God would have them to be. Tim Keller puts it this way, speaking of Christ's resurrection, which is the moment that new creation came to be. In Genesis 1, we said God, out of the chaos of water, brought new life. Out of Jesus' tomb, new creation was birthed. And the resurrection, Tim Keller says, is not the end. It's the beginning of all things being restored. And we are carrying that out today. Early in church history, baptismal candidates would typically baptize on Easter Sunday. And then just every Easter Sunday they would do that. And, and candidates would, would first face to the West. And they would renounce the, the forces of darkness. As Ephesians 6 put it, the wiles 
of the devil, which we laughed about with our good friends, Rachel and Brad Wiles. Every time I said that a couple of weeks ago, their son, Timothy, just giggled. (laughs) They would renounce the darkness. And then they would turn to the east at sunrise and pledge their allegiance to Jesus, who is the light of the world. And then do you know what they did? They literally changed their clothes. They took off their clothes to put on new garments because baptism marks repentance and renewal. And God has taken our old way of life and removed it from us and thrown it away. And we are renewed. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we are welcome into the household of God. And we become in Christ and Christ comes to live in us. And when we come out of the baptismal waters, we are demonstrating that we will never be the same again. And we get new clothes. We had some pretty spiffy t-shirts on this morning, didn't we? It said child of God because that's exactly who we are. Kyle Matthews is one of the more gifted songwriters that I've ever come across. He has a song titled, When You've Been Through the Water. Preacher pulled the boy up from the water. Hallelujahs rose from the banks. There was a new suit of clothes from his father and a prayer of thanks. The boy walked barefooted all the way home for dinner. And when they laughed at his muddy feet, he said, I've been through the water and I've come out clean. I've got new clothes to cover me. And you don't wear your old shoes on your brand new feet when you've been through the water. These new clothes tell a story. And I need you to hear me. Because this ha- we have to be this way, okay? We, we get new clothes. So I think we're good with that. All of us like new clothes. Hear me. Everybody gets new clothes. Nobody's clothes are better than that guy's clothes. Or that girl's clothes. Or her clothes. Or his clothes. Or your son's clothes, or your son's friend's clothes, or your friend's clothes, or that person at work that you don't really like's clothes. They're not different. And we've got to quit acting like they are. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. And I'm talking to the world I see every day I get up and go out of my house. I believe it was a ring for his finger. And the best robe the father could find that he gave his prodigal son, Luke 15, if I'm not mistaken. And I believe he put new sandals on his feet when the truth was that the son probably sold all of his shoes for his habit. It's a shocking thing, really, to hear the story of the prodigal son, really hear it. I mean, I've preached it so many times. I'm saying I'm I'm bringing it up right now, assuming that you even know it. Dad put the best clothes on him, killed the fatted calf, brought in the orchestra threw the biggest party you can imagine. And I preach that sermon like it's so natural that it's just obvious that that's what God would have us to do. And that's how we would respond at the return of the prodigal son. Dr. Fred Craddock tells a story about a family in his community who went through a divorce. You know, heartbreaking. 
four daughters. And the youngest daughter he described as prematurely mature. Smoked, you know, far more marijuana than a 14-year-old should, should smoke. Rode around on all of the motorcycles in town. Stayed in trouble, in and out of juvenile detention. Finally, the judge sent her away to boarding school. And five months into that, word came back that she had given birth to her daughter at age 15. A few months went by, and the neighborhood caught wind that she was coming home. Would she bring the baby? And the day she was scheduled to arrive, that was the day everybody decided to mow their yard. And then it happened. The car came down the road and pulled into the driveway and out jumped Kathy and the baby. She brought the baby and everybody went over and they were hugging Kathy and they were holding the baby and they were so excited to see her. Dr. Craddock lived a few houses down. Everybody's preacher. And he went inside worried. Oh, dear. What if they throw a party? What if they invite me and Nettie to the party? Will we go? He got nervous because they might ask, hey, Fred, we're having a party. We'd like for you and Nettie to come. And he couldn't figure out whether or not he would be able to go. If you live next door to the prodigal son's father, would you join the party? New clothes are not just for some people. We have to make room for others. Let me say that again. We have to make room for others. So I ask us this morning, is there room at our table, in our living rooms, in our classrooms, in our life groups? Is there room? We love talking about people who visit. We've had so many visits. We really have. And it's so exciting. People are coming. And, and, and I believe that this is a place where they will hear the gospel and see it proclaimed and lived out in you. I really do believe that. But the question we have to ask first and foremost is if we really want them here. Because you can't hide that. That's written all over our faces. You can't fake welcome. Is there room here? I've got a good friend who pastors a church in Grapevine, Texas. Grapevine is a suburb of Dallas. It's one of the top 100 best places to live in America by some magazine somewhere, but it's a good place to live. Almost 90% white with a much higher than average median American income and award-winning schools like Faith Christian Academy right there in Grapevine. They take their high school, very, high school football very seriously there. No surprise. And Faith's football team has over 70 players, 12 coaches, the best in all the equipment, and hordes of involved parents. In November 2007, the Faith Lions were 7-2 and two going into a game with the Gainesville State Tornadoes. 
Gainesville State, on the other hand, was 0-8. They had scored only two touchdowns all year. They had 14 players. Their equipment was eight years old, dilapidated helmets, and they were escorted to the field that night by armed security guards who took the players' handcuffs off before the game began. Gainesville State is a maximum security prison north of Dallas who gets its students by court order. The tornadoes have convictions for drugs, assaults, robberies. Many of their families have disowned the boys if they even had a family to disown them. They played every football game on the road. As the week came for this game, the faith's coach, Chris Hogan, had an idea. What if for just one night, faith's fans divided in half? And half the fans went to the visitor's side of the field and cheered for the other team. Hogan said, here's the message I want you to send in an email to the parents of the football team and all the fans early in the week. You are just as valuable, Gainesville State, as any other person or planet on, <laughs> see the other person on planet Earth. The faith fans agreed and they did it. When the Gainesville State Tornadoes took the field, they crashed through a banner that was 20 feet tall that said, Go Tornadoes. The players were surprised to find themselves running through a tunnel of people about 100 deep. From their benches on the side of the field, they were shocked to find a couple of hundred fans screaming their heads off behind them, rooting them on with real cheerleaders just to their side because Coach Hogan had recruited the JV cheerleading squad to come cheer that night as well. Alex, one of Gainesville's linemen, said, I thought they were confused. (laughs) Another lineman said, I can, we can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the games. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. I mean, this is a, a team that expects the team they're going to play to much more expect a kerfuffle to occur than to be cheered for. Gainesville's quarterback and middle linebacker Isaiah shook his head in disbelief. I never thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids. (laughs) But they wanted us to. At the end of the game, which Faith won 33-14, Gainesville scored two touchdowns. The losing team practically danced off the field. I am pretty sure it's the only 0-9 coach to get a Gatorade bath after a game. When the teams gathered in the middle of the field after the game to pray, Isaiah, middle linebacker quarterback, surprised everyone when he raised his hand and asked if he could be the one to lead the prayer. Coach Hogan said, we had no idea what the kid was going to say. Lord, Isaiah said, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I would... Never have thought there were so many people in the world that cared about me. As guards escorted the tornadoes back to their bus, each player received a bag filled with burgers, fries, candy, a Bible, and an encouraging word from one of Faith's players. Before he stepped onto the bus, Williams, the Gainesville State coach, Coach Williams, grabbed Hogan by his shoulders and said, you will never know what your people did for these kids tonight. You'll never, ever know. 
Gainesville's players crowded onto one side of the bus and peered out the window and said goodbye to a group of 500 cheering people, waving them off. Rick Riley is the ESPN writer. He reported this story the first time I read it. He described the scene as rivers running uphill and cats petting dogs. Another Isaiah said it like this. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together. And they all shall be led by a little child. Who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and you made them priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. And God's kingdom shall come. It is coming. And we have been called out to play the most important role we could ever play to grip our compass tightly and to keep our eyes fixed on that which is our true north. Jesus Christ together. And to to cheer the world on. To love them. And tell them there is room church at Harpeth Heights in our family because we're a part of God's family let's pray